from the rugged desert outside Yuma, Arizona. This is Outpost Outspoken. Outpost Outspoken is the official podcast of U.S. Army Yuma Proving Ground, which conducts natural environment testing of military equipment in Arizona, Alaska, and the tropics. Hello, I'm Mark Schauer. Yuma Proving Ground boasts a wide variety of tests and training capabilities, but its bread and butter has always been the evaluation of artillery. YPG's weapons operators keep this important mission running, and Wayne Shoulders, chief of the armaments branch, has been at YPG in uniform and as a civilian for more than 30 years. Hey Wayne, thanks so much for being here today. Let me ask you, what does it take to be a weapons operator at Yuma Proving Ground? It's demanding work. It's, uh, it's on your feet all day in the heat of summer, uh, whatever weather's going on. Uh, heavy lifting, constant walking back and forth, climbing, and heavy lifting. So it's kind of a workout. And a lot of the gunners are pretty physical people. Uh, these guys are vets on average. Almost everybody's a combat vet. Uh, working in combat MOS, you know, armor, infantry, artillery type. Uh, they they like the physical part. They like the teamwork, the camaraderie of the working with your team. It's something they're used to with their squads or section they were in in the military. Uh, it has a feeling of that while you're still a civilian. So it takes a person that likes that type of environment. Um, and working with machinery and just working with the equipment. So there's a lot of mechanical, physical, um, and even intellectual work that goes in there because we have to know a lot of different systems, varied systems, varied components of ammunition and, you know, hardware, software, you know, because we do, of course, all the indirect fire mission for YPG or YTC, all the direct fire mission. So like artillery, mortar, be indirect fire, uh, direct fire would be tanks, small arms, cruiser weapons, uh, Bradleys, M1s, things like that. Uh, and we do all the mobility turret ops, which would be, you know, the turret operators in an M1 or a Bradley or any other tactical or combat vehicle, uh, ensuring everything's working just like a soldier would. So essentially, someone that liked being a soldier, we'll say, liked the work, uh, just wanted to change clothes and maybe not wear the green suit and be able to go home at night. So what does a typical day look like for a weapons operator at YPG? Well, like I said, mainly there's two sides to our, our uh, branch, and one is gonna be a either direct or indirect fire mission for the day, which the guys are going to gun positions. So that entails taking a team of four to five guys, loading up all your equipment in your truck and all your weapons systems, making sure we got what we need because you're working remote, you gotta take everything with your tools and BI all your basic issue equipment you need for that systems. So you go down range, you travel wherever distance that is to the gun position and you you lay out your gear, you in place the howitzer or tank, whatever it is. Uh, then you have to do a kind of a site check, make sure the gun position's laid out properly, you know, before you can even even think about continuing with the test. So you do all that and then you start doing your PMCS work. You, you prep all your equipment and your weapon systems, ammunition if needed. Um, and that's kind of the precursor to starting the day. Then you meet with a test officer, go over the plan for the day. Um, you'll have a safety meeting with all, on, all hands on deck from all the different sections. Uh, and you'll be working with multiple sections, you know, electronics, 
photo, uh, radar, as well as, you know, tech reps from whatever PM office there is, uh, the test officers, maybe even data collectors, ammunition carriers, demo guys at times, mechanics, as well as the gunners. So it's a team thing. So we have a safety briefing, uh, go over the aspects of the test and the cautionary, you know, things for the day uh, for the type of work we're doing. And then once that's completed, they'll do their safety checks to make sure the position's safe to fire, start bringing the ammo, a lot of walking back and forth, loading, uh, checking data, um, shooting different types of ammo, and then normal lunch break and all, and then back to it for another four or five hours. Kind of end the day if it's a regular, you know, 10 hour work day is, uh, we're probably gonna spend seven to nine hours of that firing. And then you, when you complete the firing for the day, you're gonna do all your post-ops. So you gotta put everything away, you got to do all your PMCS checks, maintain your equipment, count for everything, Trans safe the site, safe the gun site, and then uh, transport everything back to the shop. Uh, put everything away, secure things for the day, close out your paperwork, and like I said, it's a full day. And, and then we have the mobility side of the house where the guys pretty much work the same way. They collect their materials and their paperwork and they go to their site, test site, conduct PMs on the equipment they're testing, uh, meet with the test officer, have a safety brief, and then start the mission for the day. Maybe they're running certain miles on the, one of the courses. So all of this is taking place in very rugged conditions. The heat of summer is oppressive, but, but yet your people tend to stay for an entire career. Why do you think that is? Well, it's cheaper than going to the gym. All right, and these guys, a lot of these guys are physical, like I said. You get a good workout and you get a good tan, I'll tell you that. Um, it's a, it, it is hot, long, hard work, but like I said, these guys' backgrounds, most of the time we're doing this in the military, some similar, very similar activity or job, if not the same job. So those guys take a lot of pride in what they do, and they know they're testing for the soldier because most of these guys were the soldier. And they were receiving this equipment and expected it to work and work well. So they do understand that each and every day the, the effort they put in. Lane Shoulders, thanks so much for being here today. All right, you're welcome, Mark. Anytime. Most YPG employees view the work they do on behalf of soldiers as life-saving, but fewer directly save lives on a regular basis. One who does is Mindy Cordova, YPG Morale Welfare and Recreation's business manager, who first became a lifeguard in high school and today teaches lifeguard certification classes to others. Mindy, thanks so much for being here today. Let me ask you, when did you get into lifeguarding first? When I was 15 years old. Why'd you, why'd you pursue that? I was a swimmer in high school and it was the cool thing to do back then. Um, I never worked as a teenager and then uh, in 2009 I was a camp counselor at a uh, Arrowhead Lutheran camp up in uh, Arrowhead, California and they needed a lifeguard. So that's when I got back into lifeguarding in 2009. So you did it here for several years and then you started getting into teaching lifeguards as well, right? Yes, I started teaching 10 years ago. Do you have any idea how many lifeguards you've certified over the years? A lot. I know um, I've done 
most uh, myself and uh, Rebecca Trees here in Yuma, we did most of the, we've done all of the lifeguarding for Waylands and Waylands uh, hires about 70 lifeguards per season. Um, I've taught classes at AWC. I'm still currently teaching lifeguarding classes at AWC. Um, we've taught them at the country club. Uh, I've taught them out here at YPG. I've gone to different cities and, and trained over there, so uh, a lot. What all is involved to get certified as a lifeguard? What do the students have to do? So they first have to swim. There's, there's two certifications that are available. There's a deep water cert and a shallow water cert. The deep water cert consists of a 300 yard swim, either using front crawl or breaststroke. You have to show controlled breathing. You have to have your face in the water, face out of water. Um, obviously with breaststroke, it's a breath every stroke. Um, but it's 300 yards, then you have to tread for two minutes using only your legs. So your arms are tucked under your armpits uh, for two minutes and you have to keep your head above water. Um, and then after that is a one minute and 40 second brick dive. So you have to swim about 20 yards out to a brick, do a feet first or head first surface dive in the water, retrieve the brick, come back up on your back. Your, your hand has to be, your both hands have to be on the brick at all times. You swim backwards, toss the brick out and get out of the water. I mean, how does a swimmer build up their, their controlled breathing and stamina to, to be able to do that? I, I learned in high school it's just a learned, a, you know, just like running, how you learn how to run when you, or breathe how you run, you learn how to breathe when you swim. So, yeah, it, it takes, it doesn't seem like it's a big deal, but then once you see people try out to become lifeguards, you see how big of a deal the breathing is. And um, you have to show the controlled breathing and the prerequisite to show that if there is an incident that you are able to respond and take care of it. You'll be able to control your breathing on your own and take care of the issue in hand. And then once you get the person, you might have to render aid too once you've got them. Correct. Sounds like you get a lot of satisfaction out of being a lifeguard. Yeah, it's it's a, it was a break from, I when I did it to begin with, it was a break from reality from my real job because I was bail bondsman. So I would get out of the court scene and go into the lifeguarding scene and that was a big break. Now, Mindy, thanks so much for visiting with us today. No problem. Thank you for having me visit you guys. This has been Outpost Outspoken. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time from the Army's busiest test center.